Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. All right, so my word today is obedience over offense. And what I'm using is the story of Naaman. So if you've never heard the story of Naaman, I'm going to go through that story. Because um, there's, there's a, a kid's devotional I was reading a couple months ago. And it, it was about heroes of the Bible. And one of the heroes they highlighted was actually the servant girl of Naaman. You're talking about a girl that's mentioned in one verse, nameless, was pulled out for that book saying, this girl's a hero. We don't know her name. We don't know much about her besides she's being, she was a captive from Israel. And pretty much God used that girl to change someone's life completely in a place she wasn't supposed to be at all. And ever since I read that, I was like, that story has hit me. So I, when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about today, that story of Naaman really highlighted to me. I was like, I want to dwell on that today. And you're going to see why I've titled it that. But I want to go over the story first. Kind of a little, little story time here. But I'm going to pull it up in the Bible as well so we can read it together. So first... We're going to, I'm going to highlight some of the main characters as I go through the story. This is in 2 Kings chapter 5, starting from the beginning. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria. Remember, he's not an Israelite. He's a Syrian. So it's very interesting, right, in this first verse, it says the Lord gave him victory. That means God was already... God's for this guy, even though he's not for God yet. So God is already for you, even though when sometimes you're not fully for him. Um, he's also an honorable man. We see this about him here. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So you think, look how big verse one is. From here, we all about like four lines how awesome and mighty this guy is, but look at the last three words right at the end of the verse. But he was a leper. Think of how many people we think, oh, they're so great, they're so awesome, but there's that one thing that God still needs to touch. There's that one thing. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So there's a servant girl right there. Two sentences. What do we know about her? She's from Israel. She was taken captive. She's young, and she's there to serve his wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus, and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, 
am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So what do we have here? We have the, the letters written by the king of Syria. The king of Israel receives it, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't get the letter at all, which to me, hi, that by chance, he doesn't really know the prophet, Elisha, because he doesn't understand the letter. If he knew the prophet, if he had a good relationship with Elijah, he'll be no, he'll would know, he would see that letter and like, oh, this isn't for me. This is for Elisha. I know where to point this to. That, that's, unfortunately, that's high, that kind of reveals the heart of the king of Israel, that he didn't know where to take this to, right? But thank goodness, Elijah overheard. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So what is that he didn't know? He didn't know. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Who told him this? Not Elijah. His servant told him the message. So Elisha didn't bother stepping outside his door to see this great man to give him the message of, of the Lord. He sent his servant. This is important. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come to me. So he had the plan set up in his head. He, like, and he said, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go with all my money. I'm going to go right to him. He's just going to wave his hand and poof, everything's going to be okay, right? God doesn't work like we want him to work sometimes, right? And so he said, he will surely come to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Now he does have a point there. While I was looking into this, Bozy, the, the, the river is very dirty. It's not a very clean river. And the rivers in Damascus are very beautiful and clean. It's kind of, it's, it's muddy. The river he's asking him to go to is kind of a little stank, you know? So he's like, why am I going to go in there to get clean? So he turned and went away in rage, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and he and all his aides and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he, Elisha, said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand and I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. 
So Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So this earth most likely was for him to go back and build some type of altar or something that he can have. Um, Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down the temple, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Now there's a section after that that talks about Elisha's servant. We are going to get there later. Because to me, after this grand story of like, ah, oh, it's amazing. This guy was healed, saved their salvation here, right? And then there, to me, it has a tragic ending because of what the servant chose to do. The guy that was even closer to Elisha, that was supposed to have Elisha's heart, didn't get his heart either. But I want to first talk about our first hero here, the servant girl. There it is. Okay. So we saw the main, main characters there, which I'll kind of go through. Naaman, we meet Naaman, right? And then the servant girl. The servant girl talks to his wife. Then his wife obviously talked to Naaman. Naaman goes to the Syrian king. The letter gets written to Israel's king. He didn't get it, right? He went to Elisha. Elisha. Then Gehazi, which is his servant, is the one that went to Naaman. Naaman's servant, that's an important person too. What's interesting about Naaman, and then we're going to get to the girl there, is that he was willing to listen to his servants. That's very interesting. For someone who actually at one point had to battle with pride, but he was humble enough to know when to listen to someone else. So that's interesting. But let's talk about the servant girl. So what's interesting that the servant girl, think about this, she was ripped out of her country, young, she's young, we don't, I don't know the exact name of her, but the fact they say young, it can't be old, obviously, she's a young girl, ripped from her homeland, ripped from her family, plopped into this foreign land, into this family, told now you have to serve this woman. How bitter she could have chosen to be. How offended she could have chosen to be. But her heart wasn't. Her heart desired for her captor to be healed. Her heart desired that enough to speak up. You think back then, like sometimes like servants didn't have space to speak. Yet she chose to speak up and tell the wife, like, look, I know someone that can heal him. I know. And the fact that that also tells me that she, she was brought up well. The fact that she knew her God, because at the time Israel, the fact that God allowed and even helped Syria to defeat, to beat Israel, tells me Israel was not in a great place. The fact that the king didn't even know the prophet tells me that Israel was not in the best place. But the fact that this girl inside of her knew that her God could heal this man, she had a faith. She had a, a well-grounded faith. And also, God can use you wherever you are. 
And what's fascinating to me, some of the commentaries I read about this, is that Matthew Henry here, I'll, I'll read the quote I, I copied, the unhappy dispersing of the people of God has sometimes proved the happy occasion of the diffusion of the knowledge of God. So sometimes when people are scattered, right, we even see it in Acts 8, they, they get scattered, and what happens? The, the, the news of God's glory, of his goodness, gets spread. That God will use that. that God will use you wherever you are. And then maybe God even dispersed you, removed you. You know, some of you may not be where you were originally from or be away from family, whatever. Like God maybe moved you, positioned you in a unique place like West New York <laughs> to be a light to something somewhere, to someone somewhere. He puts you in a spot. And servants, also it's interesting, that also a lot of things about even in ancient Israel when they were taking captives, that servants may be a blessing to the families where they go by telling them what they know of the glory of God and the honor of his prophets. So very fascinating, just like this whole concept of this girl decided to step out in faith. And also Naaman could have totally dismissed her. I was like, she's only a servant girl that I I, and her country I defeated. Like, who is she to tell me? what to do. But he took it. The fact that the wife even quickly turned around and relayed the message. But we have to be willing to be a voice to those who have tolerated their sickness and offer them something more. Think about that. Naaman, he was a great man. Despite his illness, he became someone. He really became someone that was important. And what's interesting in Syria, with, he was able to move about freely even with his condition. Think about for those who know some of the laws in Israel, if he had, with leprosy in Israel, he would have been casted out. He would have been removed from the camp. So within Syria, they, were, they tolerated his sickness, tolerated his sin, you can say. And he was able to become great even though he had that. But God, even though God was for him, he, he knew, even though he had this allowance to be great and to do things, he knew that that could not be it for this guy. There had to be more. That healing was for him. That, that salvation was also for him. God desires to do that with some of the great men and women in our, in our country, in this world, that they are not beyond salvation or healing. And it's also for us as the people of God to speak up, to maybe be the voice that helps them get there. Wouldn't that be something to see a revival in the White House? Just because someone decided to step up and say something. Then maybe we just to really start praying for the people who are interns and people like that, because those are the people that might, God might be sprinkling in to maybe start something, even in the White House, in the governor's house here in the mayors, in the towns. It can just take one voice to say, you might hear something, sometimes sickness, sometimes something like, well, I, I got a God that can do something. I know someone that can help you. And just pray for them to be in a position to be humble, to receive that. Now, 
this quote, another one to Matthew Henry. So think about this young girl was in a family that obviously taught her well. So as parents, that make sure that our kids are aware of the goodness of God, of the miracles of God, right? Children should acquaint themselves with the wondrous works of God that wherever they go, they may have them to talk, to talk about, to instill that within them. Now it brings us to, Man, to Naaman, right? He was a man of honor, but he had leprosy. His sickness was something he learned to live with, to deal with. He was still great. It was, a, it was permissible where he was. God was already for him. God was already after him, right? The first verse we found that, that God was for him. He allowed him victory. And yet he was not fully aware of this God. Isn't that something to think like even during your life, how God maybe put some things to protect you, put some things around you. You had no concept to bring you right where you are right now to salvation. And God can use your pain and your sin to bring you right where he needs you to be. So you think maybe without that leprosy, maybe Naaman would not have been able to be brought to the point he needed to be brought to. That God can use that. So what is God trying to, there's pains in our life that God wants to you to draw him closer. Now, he didn't give you those pains. He didn't cause that struggle, but he can use it to draw you closer to him. Not to be, not to go away and, and to drive a wedge between you and the presence and you and him. It's actually, he wants to use it to draw you closer into complete healing, right? God wanted to do more in Naaman than, than just to physically heal him. God wants to do more in you than just physically heal you if it's physical or if it's something else. God wants complete healing for you. God wants more for you than just that. So even people that we know that we've been praying for certain things, like if it's physical, whatever, just know that God has more for them than just taking that pain away or just doing that. God desires complete healing for you. God desired more for Naaman than just disappearing the leprosy, which he could have done. Think about that. Naaman's idea of what one took faith, you know, he totally receive what this little girl said. It's like, okay, I'm going to go there. He's going to wave his hand. It's going to be gone, right? And so the fact that his faith was, faith was there, and he probably could have easily did, done that. If that's what God wanted, he, Elisha probably could have easily done that. But God made Naaman go through this process to not only heal his leprosy, but to also strip him from any pride, also for it to him to have a deep knowledge that this God is not like any other gods. In fact, there's no gods, <laughs> right? He even says that there's no gods except the God that's in Israel, like no one. The people I've been after all my life are nothing now because now I've truly know the true, real God, right? He also, I think God also wants to see us willing to pursue him, right? How, 
easy the wave of the hand, but Naaman had to fight through a fence. There's that offense again. He had to fight through that offense of being offended, like, who is he? He didn't even come out, which is honestly kind of rude of Elisha, if you think about it. He didn't even come out of his door. He's sitting in his chair. Gehazi, go ahead, go ahead. Go. This is the message, go talk to him. He didn't even get up and leave. So in a way, that is a little rude, right? But again, God wanted him to fight through that offense, fight through that anger. And again, there's that voice of the other servant. Again, there's another servant say, come on, man, we traveled all this way. And if he asks you to do some great and like great thing, you would have done it. He like, he called him out. I'm like, wow. <laughs> he had some guts too to get up and call him out and be like, this is not the end of the road for you. Can you be that for someone too? Be like, this is not the end of the road for you. You have to fight through this. There's something more for you. If you just listen to the man of God, if you just listen to this guy, there's so much more for you. You just have to push through your offense, your anger, your disbelief, your doubt, what other people are saying. You have to, what you're saying in your head, you have to fight through that and say, and look at the end goal of that healing and that salvation to fight through that. So he had to have this other servant come talk him off the ledge and be like, no, let's, let's, you need, let's do this. Let's do this. And what's interesting after all of that, that Elisha didn't want anything, right? A picture that God's saying, my healing is free. My salvation is free. It may cost your pride. It may cost your doubt. It may cost your fear. But it's free. It's freely given. Right? He was willing. He really thought, Naaman really thought it was going to take all this money. Think about it. It was a lot of money. Even our day, all that gold, all that silver, it's a lot. Ten changes of clothes. It's probably nice stuff too, right? <laughs> high-end fear of God, right? Not just essential, high-end. So it's probably some nice stuff. Ten changes of clothes. And so you think he's, he thought it was going to take all this extravagancy to receive his healing and salvation. But no, it took him to actually get so low and humble to strip down all of that fancy clothes, to get in mud, and not just dip down once, but seven times getting that nasty stuff. Seven times dip yourself fully emerged. Get in there, get, and then come out clean. Deal with your mess. God wants you to deal with that stuff to fully come out clean, brand new, right? His brand new baby was his skin. Think about that. He made them get down in the, in the muck that God is willing to go with you down in your muck to get it all out, to make you fully into who you created to be. God is willing to get his hands dirty with you so you come out new and fresh. Seven times he made him do that. And 
And to, to go through that, to come out brand new and fresh, he just knew this is God. It's not only for you, but it's also for the people around you. Think about the servants, all this company of people that also witnessed that. Like, wow, your healing is not just for you. But to kind of go back a little bit, something I wrote down here, he was also looking for man to do something only God can do. Because I think that's also one other reason I think God didn't want to do where Elisha just was the raise of the hand, because that maybe would have uplifted Elisha as being the healer. But we can't go to man with something only God can do. Even he took the letter to the king of Israel, right? Like, who am I? I'm not a God. Who am I? He thought that he thought Siri was trying to mess with him and cause trouble. That's what his thought was. So be careful taking your stuff to the wrong people. They won't get it. They won't get it. But we have to really know where to take our stuff. Where to really seek healing because man can't do what God can do. He had to truly know that only God can do it. That God wanted more from Naaman, that he, he went, then turned around, went into a whole pagan place with the desire to still stay true to the one living God. So I want to connect this because remember, we have to look at the whole Old Testament as also connecting it to Jesus, to the gospel, right? It's just one grand story that the whole Old Testament points to the promise, which is Jesus. So I think looking at a story like this, we can totally see like it's a foretelling of what Jesus will be easily able to do in the way of healing that and that Jesus wasn't scared to do some crazy things for healing right we know about the mud in the eyes and things like that to really prove that God is who he is and though also through this think about it in the old testament the only the Israel's God was Israel's God so the fact that God went out of his way to heal a Syrian guy is a foretelling that Jesus is for everyone, not just for the tribes of Israel. It's for everyone. And the fact that this story is actually pulled into the New Testament in Luke 4, 7, where it says there is no leper healed in Israel except Naaman the Syrian. That was kind of a jab to the, the Pharisees he was talking to at the time to prove that Jesus is for everyone not just the families of Israel. And that full healing, salvation, requires humility and obedience. Right? He had to go through full humility, stripped down into the mud. And also that, that's obedience. He chose to obey. He chose to get over his offense and obey. And out of his obedience, he received exactly what he was looking for exactly what he needed because he built a bridge and got over it. He went over his offense and received God. What I didn't get to yet, this last connection of greed. So we're going to talk about um, the servant real quick. I'm going to go back to the Bible here. Because after all that, it's not moving. There it goes. 
write the, the there we go, Gehazi, Elisha's servant. So at this point, right before that title there, they start, you know, Elisha says, no, it doesn't cost anything. Be in peace. You're free to go. Gehazi's like, wait a minute. He's got a lot of dough. <laughs> like, we should get what we deserve, right? Like, we, we can get some of that. Now, I, I want to say this in saying that, you know, obviously servants of God and prophets and don't, aren't worthy of their wages. In one, you know, they're not worthy of what's for them. But in this case, God was trying to show Naaman that, again, it doesn't cost him all his extravagance, that his healing was free. But then Gehazi took this idea really out of greed. His motive was greed, not to, for him to think of, oh, get, get our just rewards. It was straight out of greed. And we know that because he lied to Elisha about it. That's how we know the, the root of his motives was greed. And where else do we see greed in the New Testament? Judas. His motives was greed. So greed gets you in a very dangerous place. So we see that in verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Gehazi, he just gave the message. He doesn't realize like it wasn't him that did all this. It was God. God did the healing. He even like, he doesn't get it. He says, my master has spared Naaman. That wasn't Elisha's choice to spare him or not. That was God's choice. To me, that's the scariest thing right there is that his own servant didn't get his heart. Gehazi did not get the heart of his master, that he was under the, he was in the presence of a prophet as his servant. So you think he's in his household, yet he didn't get his heart to the fact that he wanted to go out and, and receive what he thought was his just reward when he had nothing to do with it. But to me, that's, that's extremely tragic in thinking that, that he didn't get it, that he did not get the, the heart of his master. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has just sent me saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant didn't go anywhere. That's lie number two. So first he goes to name and makes up this whole story like, yeah, all of a sudden these two guys show up and you know, they need, they need help and we, we gotta help them out and we don't have a lot, you know, we gotta help them too. 
And not only in name is extravagance, he doesn't give what he asked for. He gives him even more than what he asked for, right? He said, don't just give me one talent. I was like, I'll give you two, right? So his heart was to, Naaman's heart was to be generous, like, because out of his still response of this great thing that happened to him. And Gehazi wanted to take advantage of that, wanted to take advantage of his, you know, very happy and joyous occasion of probably wanting to be generous. And then he turns around and lies to Elisha, the prophet. Come on. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I think about this. He's the prophet of God who talks to God, is a messenger of God, and he thinks he can just get around and just lie. It's like, come on. It's almost like, you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, and, like these, and like they think they can hide from God. It's like, come on. When you have kids, sometimes they'll come to you and like, like, come on, I know you're lying. And it's just like, it's just in that moment, I don't, what, what was this guy thinking? He wasn't. Why? Because greed blinded him. You didn't think about Judas. Greed blinded him. Greed blinds you because now it's not just about greed. It's not just about money. But anytime we put something in between us and God, it blinds us. It can be anything. Once you ele have elevated that higher than it should be, now you've blinded yourself to the fact of delusions at this point, right? This guy was delusional to think he can get away with what he did. It brings you into a place that it puts you in a dangerous place. But what's in verse 26, this is what Elisha responds to him. Did not my heart go with you? Like, oh. It's just like telling us, like, like you're, you're one of mine. Like, I knew what you were doing. Like, my heart. Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, as white as snow. That decision of greed opened the door for then that's more sin to enter in. And what our decisions, it's a, what we, a common theme throughout the Bible, is that our decisions affect our generations behind us. That one choice of him to be blinded by greed now allowed something to enter in that was going to affect his children, his children, his descendants. That's, that's heavy stuff. That's eye-opening stuff. Now, obviously, us being over under the new covenant of Jesus, that can be broken. Anything that you, that you have allowed within your life that could, and some of us even, some things of maybe our past generations some habits and things like that have passed down that we can be the ones to say, no, it stops here. It stops here. What I have chosen to do, is, it stops here too. It's not going to go down to my children and so on. So it can stop here. We can declare that in Jesus' name that it stops here. That you do not have to repeat what has gone on in the past. 
either in your family's past or even your past. You can decide that it stops here. But to me, it, this, this, that end part is so, so tragic. And what's interesting, if you read previous stories to this one of Elisha and this servant, this is not the first time. This was the second offense, at least, of what we know of. So this is something that, unfortunately, he's done before, and he chose to do again. So to me, it's, a, it's very tragic of what he chose to do and allowing that greed. So it's just for us to be aware for not to allow greed to blind us or put anything else in between us and Jesus because it does put you in a dangerous place. And that God wants to pull, pull you out of that. So it's some things to, to bring together here. Kind of remember our great time together. So God can use you wherever you are. I really want to encourage you guys with that, that God can use you wherever you are. I kind of want to pull out, you know, some qualities of each of the characters here because it's, it's a great story that God chose to put in the Bible. So I'm sure a lot of things happen in the, in the Old Testament times that were not written down. But there's, when we look at the Old Testament we have to look at it like, God, you chose to put this story there. So what can we glean from it besides the whole overarching theme that it all points to Jesus? Beyond that, what can it speak to us now? And so again, first, at the servant girl, what can we learn from her? We can learn to stand strong in faith, to not be offended. Do not let offense stop you from speaking up from stopping you to do what God's called you to do, to not allow that. Because again, she easily could have chosen that route. She could have easily chosen to be mad and bitter and not be a light. So God's calling us to, to, be, to draw us out of that because there's things people can do that can obviously get us angry. We're human. But in that moment, to take a step back and be, okay, what how can I change this situation? How can I bring light into this situation? How can I not close up because of offense or anger or bitterness and actually start bringing the light that I have in me onto it? Because you can be put in a place where you can change everything just because you chose to be the one that wasn't bitter, wasn't full of gossip, wasn't this or that and actually bring light into it. And to, to really also make sure we pass on the faithfulness of God. When things happen for you, testimonies happen for you to be shared within your family. Our kids are very well aware of the times that God has come through for us. Even like praying for things like for the Belize trip and that's the way it should be they should be fully aware of how God comes through and to continue to those stories so they can, as they grow up, can remember, no, God did that, that he can do it again, or I'm going to stand on the faithfulness that I saw this growing up. You know, so because she probably saw maybe healing. The fact, what was interesting, though, actually, I want to go back for a minute. 
Think of what Luke 4, 7 said, right? No one was healed of leprosy except for Naaman. So that's actually, she did not ever see anyone healed from leprosy. But somehow she knew her God can do it. She didn't actually see it. She never saw it. And yet she had the faith to speak up and say, my God can do it. I would think like maybe something in her would be like, oh, I don't know. Should I say that? I've never seen it. I don't know. But the fact that she chose to go, go forward with those words, you know, it's just like never saw that with leprosy before. And yet she chose to say he's going to get healed from leprosy if he sees the man of God. And God can come through. Like, wow, what faith to even start proclaiming things that maybe you've never seen. There's some things like you even said with like the White House, like we've never seen that. doesn't mean it can't happen because God's much bigger than anyone who sits in that White House. God's much bigger than that. So there's some things that maybe you haven't seen that we need to speak faith to, be like, no, my God's bigger. Start thinking big. Why not? What do you got to lose? <laughs> You know, what do you've got to lose? Like, it's like, it's not even, it's not your, your money you're gambling on, you know? It's, it's, you're trusting in God. Like, what can, what, what can you lose by just speaking some life and some faith? You know, and crazy faith. Think of, like, there's stories of people who had some crazy faith. George Mueller, if you've never heard about him, he had, oh, I forget, maybe 1800s, I forget when, or maybe early 1900s, I forget when he was alive, had an orphanage in England. This guy someone sometimes had nothing in the kitchen, nothing. And he was like, you know what kids, we're gonna pray, and all of a sudden someone comes up to the door with all the food they need for that day. It's just like crazy faith. Like why not? Why not try it? Why not try it? Because even in that, I think even in praying faith, that there's something about that can just change in our heart, in our mind, that can even just give us that hope and that joy. It can change your whole mood of the day. Just saying, God, like, I, I want to see this in my lifetime. I want to see this today. Because sometimes maybe it's not just God he want, that you need to move. It's also you in your perspective, in your thoughts, that God wants to move through prayer. That God's looking to shift some things in you to see some things differently. Another reminder, don't go looking to man for what only God can do. You'll just be left disappointed. And when you go to God, you have to be humble and willing to do it his way. Right? Because he thought he was going to go to man. He goes, ooh, wave the hand. All right, we're good to go. No, God wanted obedience. God wanted a willing heart. God wanted that. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to have a willing heart and move past offense. Because there are some things that people from church can say, right? This is Elijah. He got offended by a man of God not doing things, There's, we can easily get offended by things of the church. Even by, maybe God didn't do something 
that you thought he can do. Maybe there was pain and tragedy that happened in your life and you want to blame God for it. It's, he's asking you to move past that offense and realize that he's so much bigger and so much better than your circumstance. So to cross over that offense and just choose willingness and obedience. And God's healing is for everyone. And he wants to do more than just physically heal you. Even the people that you see that you want to pray for, if when we go out, the outreach, we hear someone, oh, they want to heal a knee, like, or whatever. It's just know that God wants to do more in that person than just heal that pain. God wants to do so much more. And don't let offense stop you from speaking up and reaching out. So, right, offense could have stopped the girl from speaking up. Offense could have stopped Naaman from reaching out and doing what he needed to do for the healing. And desire to have a heart that is one with God. And that one I take from the Gehazi. The, like, his heart was not one with God. So desire to have a heart that's one with God. Because when, when you have that heart that's bent toward him, it's harder for other things to kind of wedge its way through. Greed can't pop up when we're one with God because we realize that, hey, my God's got all the money. He'll supply. That greed doesn't have a place. Stuff doesn't have a place once we're bent toward him because there's no room. <laughs> when we allow God to take up all the space, there's no room for anything else. So to really allow God to get each one of those places within our heart, with our mind, especially our mind. Especially our mind, because our mind is sometimes the biggest battlefield. Our thoughts, our words, our mind. So to really allow God to fill up, take our thoughts captive, toss them out, and allow God to fill them with his. There's reason why God said certain things in his Bible, not just for cute memes or quotes, to really change our lives, to transform us into who he's called us to be, and to really take that word. I've really, I've been doing a thing where um, on the Bible app, there's the, you read the Bible every day, or you read through the Bible in a year, right, Bible in a year. And I actually been doing where I listen to it on the ride. And just listening to some of these crazy stories in the Old Testament, like, whoa. Especially the kings. What's so sad about listening through the kings, I'm like, oh, and this one was after God's heart, like the servant of David. Like, this one chose evil. This one chose, chose God. Oh, this one chose evil. And there's more kings that chose evil than God. And I'm like, oh, man. But the interesting thing is, like, that was a measure of the king, of whether or not he chose God or not. That was a measure, one of the criteria that's constantly listed for every single one. And what's interesting, most of the ones that chose evil is because the father chose evil. They followed in the way of their father's footsteps. Now, there were a few that changed the mold of that, right? Josiah being one, I believe, right? <laughs> so there was some that chose to change the mold, but unfortunately, at some, somewhere, it, they went and chose to follow other gods. 
to follow other things. Father other idols. So to really choose to have a heart toward God that that can be said of us. That that man or woman chose to believe God and did things that was right in God's eyes. That we can choose that. So let's pray. Um, so Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that you want to speak to us, even from a story, a real story that happened, that people can even look at our real stories, that they would see God in it, that they would see Jesus in it, that they would see healing, that they would see trials but faith, that they would see people that desired your heart, that desired to be one with you, that you would give us faith and hope in this moment, that you can do anything, that help us to break through any offenses that might be in our heart and our mind to start bringing you into those places, that you want to be everywhere, God, and you are everywhere, but you want us to make you more evident by our actions, our choices, our words, our prayers, so God, help us to move toward you. And we just release those that we may have offense toward. We forgive them. We choose to bless them, to speak life over them like we, we prayed earlier. That we can be truly free to choose you and to choose your ways, God. To again, have a heart that's one with you. God, help us to have a heart that's one with you, to hear your voice, to choose your words. That right now, I just pray over everyone here that we would take any counter thoughts and take them captive and to speak your truth and say, no, my God said this. No, Jesus did this for me. I'm not taking that in. I'm not taking that as mine that we choose you, God, that we choose you. And I just bless each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.